Welcome to episode 95 of Together BHA. I am Josh and we are here to talk about a fair few things that have happened this week, to be fair. Uh, we've had pretty much as close to a club legend in the recent kind of 10 years leave, love him or hate him, uh, off to Burnley he went. Um, rumours of a new striker, striker signing, if I could get my words out properly. Uh, and then uh, Manchester United review, very controversial and a look ahead to Everton with a dabble of fantasy Premier League chat. Uh, we are packed out, as I said, until November with guests on the show. Uh, so this week I have Marty Webb. Uh, I believe he was on for the season wrap-up. Correct me if I'm wrong when you when you pop in. Yeah, I was on the season wrap-up show. I think I was the most acclaimed guest on that show as well. Yeah, I think I'd have to see the stats on that. Um, but <laughs> I, I, maybe maybe Albion Analytics can get in there and take a look as to whether that's actually true. Um, but yes, uh, Marty is on the show uh, for the duration for this episode. Thank you for coming on. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well. We are recording this in, uh, in the evening on the Saturday night. So almost, it's almost... 12 hours exactly after the loss, or I guess 12 and a little bit less and change, but I'm doing well, still hurting a little bit, I think, definitely, licking my wounds. I think that's entirely fair. Um, as you know, I, I let Marty know that I wasn't even interested in recording until tomorrow because I was so pissed off, um, but I changed my mind because I need to get this knocked out today because more sport is on tomorrow and i have to go and do a photo shoot with the wife uh with a horse uh that marty's wife is so kindly agreeing to photo so can't wait absolutely thrilled um, thrilling horse pictures like, <laughs> we get to go see a donkey yeah um. the last uh, the last <laughs> time we did this this time last year uh the intention was to do this and i actually was in zero pictures um, so that t- <laughs> that tells you as to, as to how that usually goes. So, <laughs> uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Um, I don't know if you ever really got too much into. Did you ever get into your origin story, like any good superhero? Uh, last time we were on the show, or was it just a kind of brief intro? Yeah, it was it was a brief intro, but in 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 as little words as possible, uh, Brighton's not a team that I had heard of as of probably three or four years ago, about 10 years ago is when I started watching soccer, you know, as you call it, uh, with, with a semi-serious regimen, but then, you know, life catches up. I just fell out of it and it's something I just kind of ignored. And it just so happens. Uh, I meet Josh. I wanted to get back into soccer and he pitches me on Brighton. My favorite color was blue. My first name is Martin. There was Martin Montoya, number 22. 22 is my favorite number. Did I already say that? I'm not sure. But it was like, okay, cool. This seems like it works out. Uh, let, let's give it a go. And it was it was Uton's last season. <laughs> and it was very hard to watch, but I was still all in. And then when Graham Potter came on, uh, it, was, it was that much easier to uh, fall in love with the Albion as it was. So... Now, uh, as a lifetime college football fan, I can watch those games with no emotion, but I will jump up and scream when Brighton tie it up against Manchester United in the 93rd, 94th minute, which is something I'm, I'm getting new to again. It's getting emotional about sports. 
and and Brighton has brought it out of me, which I think is a good sign. Yeah, it feels like shit though today, don't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, like it makes me regret ever. <laughs> it makes me as I'm like clapping at 94 minutes, uh, and then two, <laughs> my wife doesn't hear a noise from me for the next five because I'm just brewing. I'm just brooding over in the corner about how <laughs> upsetting this whole scene is. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is not good. Um, college football. Would you like to plug your stuff? Yeah, just quickly at Run Pod Option is the Twitter. It's the name of the podcast, and we do college football stuff. We're taking a short break because of this kind of weird COVID college football season. But feel free to follow us if you're into college football, or if you're interested in learning about college football, you can tweet about it too, and and we can uh, help pick a team, get you involved, and and everything else. Awesome, perfect. All right, cool. So, uh. First of all, let's cover some kind of news stories of the week. Um, first of all, Pr- Brighton versus Preston North End. Uh, first ever win at Preston it was. We've, we've never beaten Preston North End in our entire life. Um, did you manage to catch much of it? I know we were talking back and forth a little bit, uh, trying to use different streams. I'm not sure how much you ended up being able to see of it. Uh, what was your experience trying to get this Carabao Cup glamour tie on your stream? The dodgy stream was was sort of an issue, but I did end up just having it on a second screen while I was working. So I didn't catch much of the fine details, but what I did see was a very comfortable Brighton team, and it and it basically not involving any first teamers is is a relief. But I caught enough to to know what we're talking about here, but I couldn't go into depth. Yeah, I think that everybody overseas had an issue with it because. The only way you could really get it legitimately was paying for it through the Carabao Cup website, and you're not you're physically unable to do that unless you live in the UK. So, unless you were very committed and went with a VPN and then paid the ten pounds to watch it, uh, if you did, massively fair play because <laughs> I'm not going to those extent. Um, I I was the same as you. I think I watched the majority of the first half with the dodgy stream. Maybe missed like four or five minutes of it. Um, and then I ended up just going back to the, the tried and trusted Johnny Cantor um, and Warren Aspinall on BBC Radio Sussex. Um, they were very helpful uh, on the My Albion player or, or, or whatever it's called these days. I always remember it as Seagulls player back in the day. Um, so the squad, like you said, wasn't even, it was basically the, the backup 11. It's very similar to the, to the 11 that played against uh, Portsmouth the week before. Um, stealing goal, Veltman at right back, Burnham Roberts at centre half, Bernardo at left back, uh, Proper and Sanders in the middle. Um, and then, so that it was a 4 2 3 1. And then the three were AJ, Gross, and McAllister. And then up top again was Victor Goyacares or Goyacares or Goyacares or whatever they decide to call him this week. Um, which of those players for you do you think are the ones that? Like, which of those ones are the ones you wish would get more of a first team shot from what you've seen, uh, both against Portsmouth and Preston, albeit they are lower competition, uh, which people in there have kind of stood out for you? Dan Byrne physically stands out. And I think also he looked like he was in control when I, when I did tune in like you, it was five or 10 minutes in and, it seemed like we couldn't get an offensive possession forward, so we were just under attack, but we never looked scrambled. 
we never looked panicked. We looked like we still had it in hand and, and burn back there on the back line really looked to be a big part of that, just contributing physically, but also just leading. McAllister has got to be number one on my list though, because he, we saw him both in the first week and in those cup games, if I'm not mistaken. And he's just been excellent. He's willing to take the shots. Him and Ali Reza are probably my two choices, but Ali Reza has been getting time. So I'm not too worried about that, but McAllister and Byrne specifically are the two that I really, really enjoyed watching. Yeah. That stat shocked me today. Did you hear that during the game? Uh, when Ali Reza came on, he's the only player to have played in all five games so far this season. It, like, it's not surprising because you forget about the cups, I guess, but I still don't remember. I feel like I don't remember him against Newcastle. <laughs> like, it, feel, it sounds disrespectful, but I guess we also had that game in hand, so there's no reason for him to press forward or anything. But that's awesome because that, that was the exact opposite in the last five games of last year, of last season. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah, he came on in the 90th minute against Newcastle, so that may be why you didn't realize or like kind of remember that. Um, and he came on in a 79th minute against Chelsea, so he isn't getting a ton of time. But it's it was just a it was just a strange stat they threw out there. I know that McAllister got hurt. I haven't seen any news on how serious it was. Um, I thought for me, like I only saw again the same as you did, but I thought it was quite not reassuring, but kind of reassuring that a we comfortably dispatched of a championship team. If worst comes to the worst, and we are relegated. Uh, our entire backup eleven is capable of comfortably disposing of a you know a top half championship side, and uh, not only that, but we were able to go with a totally different formation to the one that we've been playing in the Premier League, and also like comfortably walk through them. Um, do you think that at some point in the future we're we're going to revert to a four two three one like we did at the end of last season, uh, or do you think that Potter is going to prefer this three at the back with the with the three center halves we currently have. The only thing I've really learned from Graham Potter is not to make those predictions because it seems <laughs> seems foolish because of how frequently things can change. Four two three one as it's constructed now, I think can work, but it does. You know, as we get into other topics on the show with with Sakiri, it would allow him not to be maybe thrusted into a ton of minutes in such a, a big league like the Premier League. But I do like Mope having a second option, even if it's just Connolly running or if it's just Zakiri or whatever it might be so that that three can play. I, I mean, I don't know. I feels like it, it feels like it almost works that way anyways, like after they made the subs today with Trissard drifting to the right. Or I'm sorry, to the left. And Alzate was still playing forward. You still had Mope up there too. And then using Ben White a little bit higher up, almost as if not, not as, I guess it was more Tariq uh, or uh, Lamptey, but it feels like that formation would be a very easy transition, especially with the wealth of cornerbacks that we have. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, you know, I think that, it was interesting seeing Ben White fly forward today. They used him as that. I remember like last year when Potter was trying to get centre-halves to go forward, it was always Shane Duffy 
because of his ability to, you know, like head the ball at just about any height or angle. Um, but this time it was Ben White that was asked to go forward and he played a very different role. Um, he was very, you know, ball at feet as you would expect him to be. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think that's a good, uh, a good rule of thumb to have. You, you'll never know what he's going to do. Cause and, just... and, and a little bit just on what you mentioned about, you know, it being our backups dispatching of a championship team and that boating. Well, you know, I think it also boats well for, a team of our stature in the premier league when depth is some of the biggest differences between your 19th and your 15th place teams, for instance. And it's not to say that every team is going to even be capable of having a premier league level talent or having a 22 deep, you know, as it were, but having people that are in that fringe between championship and premier league and I brought Dan Byrne a ton, so let me just get him all the way off here. But having someone like Byrne that can come in and spot duty with there's an injury, it's not that big of a drop. And there's a chance you you have someone that can just completely take over, like McAllister has shown flashes of being able to really, really, really contribute at the Premier League level too. Like, can we expect it 30 matches a year at this point? Probably, that's probably not a healthy thing to do, right? That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> He's young, but like, can he be what Connolly was last year, which was pretty key in about three or four matchups that those points decided basically whether we got relegated or not? You know, I think I think that I think there's a lot of pieces on those cup teams that we can use. And with Graham being so successful at his substitutions, it just gives him more time to stay fresh and be able to be used in those kind of mercenary ways if need be. Yeah. And You've gave me a great segue because uh, while we may not expect McAllister to perform, you know, at a standard level or Mr. Reliable for 30 games, there was a man that you could uh, once upon a time, and that man was Dale Stevens. Uh, Mr. Reliable himself, you knew exactly what you were getting from Dale for seven years at the Albion. Um, he left this year, uh, seven seasons at the club. Uh, he was part of the promotion team. Um, possibly one of the most important parts of the promotion team. Uh, thoughts, feelings, concerns about Dale Stevens leaving? It was for a reported £1 million uh, rising to 2.5. I assume it will probably be on appearances. Uh, I don't think Brighton would be silly enough to accept a goal bonus. Um, so <laughs> what, are your, what are your thoughts and feelings on Dale leaving? Dale Stevens was a punchline for me when I first started watching because the man likes to pass backwards. And in the Uton system, that's what I felt like he did most of the time. It was a lot of left and right. There was not a lot of forward passes. And I didn't I didn't hate the guy, but he was a punchline, right? I wanted to start the Twitter account, did Dale Stevens pass backwards? And then it would just say yes every game day because I know that it would happen. Once Potter got a hold of him and the second half, even into after after the the covid break last year man i fell in love with him like he he still made some unwise tackles from behind he still would try to clean up outside of the box and just punt it into the second the second stands <laughs> but i i really grew to to love dale stevens so 
I know we're in good hands with the torch being passed to either Lalana, Basuma, any other number of, of midfielders. But man, yeah, Dale Stevens felt like a sure bet. At least you knew exactly what you were going to get game in and game out. So it, it does feel weird to see him gone. It is. It is. I mean, he made 213 appearances for the club. Like he played a lot of games. Uh, I think it was, uh, 193 of those of those 200 plus were full 90 minutes. The guy has an engine on him for days. Um, he, I mean, he's he's part of the team that got promoted. Uh, that central midfield duo of Dale Stevens and Baram Kyle in the championship were just so perfect together. In that, Kyle was this uh, kind of box to box, very tidy very happy to go forward kind of player. And Dale Stevens was the more Jordan Henderson light version where he was happy to sit back, win the ball, distribute sideways like he did in the Premier League. But in the championship, he just had that extra half second for him because he is that good. Like he's a, he's a Premier League midfielder. So like when you saw him in the championship, it was just, he was just five seconds ahead of everybody else. And I don't know if you were, if you were ever aware of it, but the year we didn't go up uh, was actually the last the last game of the season we played Middlesbrough and we needed to get a draw, I think, or a win. And we scored. It was 1-1. Dale Stevens scored from a corner, I think. And he was then sent off. And the, the absolute consensus amongst everybody was, A, it was a bullshit red card. Should never have been a red card. Nobody held it against him because it was just, never a red secondly as soon as he was gone everybody knew we were gonna lose that's how important he was you could have probably have had anybody else in that 11 cent off and they would have felt more comfortable with that team than losing dale stevens and that summer burnley came in for him like very clearly in not you know, not very kind of behind the public or behind closed doors. They made it very public that they wanted to sign Dale Stevens. And we said, no, Tony Bloom said no. And it was at the time probably considered one of the biggest gambles that he's made with the club because he was at risk of really pissing him off by keeping him. But he, he knew that without Dale, we are, far less likely to win that promotion the next year we kept him and you know the rest is history he ended up playing you know seven seasons at the club 15 goals 13 assists promotion uh he was a passing machine and you know he was one of those players that was super duper reliable but did you get a chance to see him against Burnley today or play for Burnley today he did I, start for them I didn't but I had I had one simple question and it was both Uton's last year and last season. I know it's tough to do the, the hypothetical, but if we didn't have Dale Stevens on our team in a vacuum each of those seasons, do you think we stay up, like, sincerely? Uh, I think both Chris Hewton seasons, without Dale Stevens, I think we probably don't stay up on either of them. Well... That first season, though, like Pascal Gross was such an enigma, like despite him having all of the recipes to not be an enigma, he was. Um, so like he may have single-handedly kept us up, but 
that presence in the midfield, I think, was so important, especially when we were bringing in so many new players around him. Like that spine of Dunk, Murray and Stevens was just so important. I think without him, he's one of those few people like Duncan Murray. I think if you said, you know, if you had to go two seasons without those two under Hutton, do you stay up? I think without Dunk, without Stevens, without Murray, I think we'd probably get him relegated in one of those two years. Yeah, it's, it, it seems like maybe they're hoping Lalana can also play the role of midfielder that's got a lot of experience and can also help what is still a really young midfield between Alzate and Basuma that are going to be your mains, you know, I guess in the middle, as we've seen so far. Yeah, and I mean, especially with Malumbi behind him. Like, that's <laughs> another really young player as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wish him well. It was, I've, I caught a little bit of the Burnley match. Um, and I, I shit you not, it was total plug and play. It was as if he'd never stopped playing. Like, he just, you put, you put him in the midfield and he played exactly the same. Did you make? Did he make a pass backwards? He did. Oh, thank Lord! All right. He was. It Everything's was honestly over. just. It was eerie. Like it was just. It was the same player, same style. Like he just plugged in so comfortably, and I think that's the that's the beauty of Dale Stevens. Like he doesn't do anything pretty. Like he doesn't do anything flashy. But you can plug and play him in almost any team, barring you know, like that top the top Premier League sides and stuff. And he's going to do a satisfactory job, if not good, you know, it, the further you go down the leagues. But yeah. like, it's pretty wild that he's got such a skill set that is that easily malleable for every team. Like, that is a talent that not many people have. I'm going to miss him. Yeah, Dale Stevens is gone. So Lewis Dunk and Solly March are the last two uh, of that promotion squad, which is... Whew. Time time flies, I guess. Uh, <laughs> incomings, though, uh, we have a new striker, maybe, rumoured. Um, Andy Zakiri, I'm going to assume that's how you say it. Uh, Kosovan slash Swiss uh, young man. He's only 21. Um, he plays for, or does maybe not play too much longer, uh, Lausanne, Lausanne. Uh, in Switzerland, in the second division. Um, you saw the same YouTube video I saw, I believe. <laughs> um, he's billed as six foot one. Um, he looks very quick. What are your thoughts on this This maybe new man? If all he is is relief up front that can still draw pressure, then I think it's a good signing. The thing that stood out to me the most, and and we all know the flaws of looking at only highlight packages, but like, where am I going to find game fill for that team? Right. <laughs> like, realistically. But he seems to be, in a good way, selfish and wanting to score the goal. He went out of his way on a number of highlights that you would see where he had an easy pass and instead would score it. Now, that's not always going to happen against a Premier League goaltender or a goalkeeper, but what it shows me at least is he's willing to take the ball off his foot. And it's kind of difficult to say that after watching this Manchester United match because of the, the different, different problems they ran into. But the Graham Potter knock 
early on was we're just passing in the box. We're not ripping one. We're not taking the shot. We're not even, you know, we're just passing. We're, we're finding that extra pass over and over again. I don't think he's that kind of guy. And that bodes well because I think that also makes it so he's a target at the end of these passes. Maybe it's just running. Maybe it's also being able to stand up like a Murray and play with his back to the net. There was quite a few highlights like that too. So he just seems like a more physical presence who's still quick, who still knows how, to, knows how to find gaps. And I think someone that could not take the Premier League by storm, but there's getting film on a person. And I think he can get us maybe a point, maybe three points, maybe six points in his first few matches because no one's going to know what to expect out of the guy. And he's got a pretty pretty fluid game, it seems. But he also played with a lot of fast dudes, so I think he's going to be well at home here. Yeah, I mean, he last year he scored 24 goals, uh, seven assists, and created 29 chances um, at the you know that Swiss second division level. So like he's clearly too good for the Swiss second division, and there's a lot of players that are too good for these divisions that get snapped up and never become good enough. Like Joel Linton, for example, uh, that Newcastle spunked 40 million on. Um, and many others. Will he make the jump? I don't know. Uh, do you feel sorry for Victor Guiacares, Guiacares, uh, given that he seems to present a very similar option, maybe a slightly bulkier option, but do you feel bad for Guiacares, given that they are pretty much the same age? I think Zakiri is maybe a couple of years younger, uh, years, months younger than him, um, especially given that his level of football is no, no real, you know, no real great shakes compared to what Guillaume has been playing. Yeah, I was probably unreasonably excited about Guillaume after the Portsmouth match because I watched a lot of it and he played well and then eventually scored. and And similarly, I was in your messages saying this dude is taking the ball, he's possessing it and letting people run around him or being able to turn and shoot it on net, which is like what's not probably the weakness on our team is if you throw Mope or Connolly with their back to the net 15, 20 feet away, they seem to struggle to make that turn and make that shot. So I was, I was unreasonably excited for it. I feel bad about it a little bit, especially because we're reading into what Graham Potter was saying that he wants to bring in more youth players, right? We're not going to go get a striker. So that, that kind of hurts. <laughs> I imagine it's got to hurt him a little bit, but why not both? I guess if you can have them both, that's also, and if you're still alive in the cups, that's a, that's a pretty versatile option to have two similar players or, or you do a small, medium, large for Mope, Zakiri, Gio Caras, and then Connolly's your speed dude to be able to rotate them any which way. There's got to be a pairing in there that's not just Mope and Connolly that makes sense and makes sense on the Premier League level at least for 30, ma- 30 minutes a match. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I saw Randy Naylor tweeted that he uh, his sources say that uh, – Zakiri will come in, play with the under-23s, and then go out on loan in January. Now, normally, you know, a year or two ago, I would have thought that that was how it was going to be. But Andy Naylor is showing time and time again his sources are somehow getting worse every year. Um, 
it would be very strange, wouldn't it, to spend £5 million on a striker that plays almost the exact same way as Guerrero's to bring him in and then ship him out on loan in January. Would you not think that we would just... Why would we do that? It seems strange. It depends. Are we an 8th place team or an 18th place team? Because I think we're more than likely going to be closer to 18th, right? So it doesn't make sense. But does... Does Manchester City's in a league of its own? That's not fair. Does does Leicester do it? Does that make sense for them? Probably, like absolutely. But yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense to to bring someone in that can't immediately contribute, especially when you've brought in the one position that I think we all know is needed the most, and then just kind of wave that carrot to say like, ah, he's going to go to Belgium and play instead. <laughs> Sorry, we're going to load him out. Yeah, like, it uh, seems it doesn't seem right. I think here's what I think it is. I think what it is is that Andy Naylor is kind of right, but as usual, gets way too ahead of himself. I think the reality is is that we're bringing him in, and of course he's going to play for the under twenty threes at first. He's got to get some match fitness that Potts happy with. He's got to get you know, used to you know the Brighton way, Brighton and Hove City. He's got to get used to everything. He's moving to a new country in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and I think the idea will probably be to loan one of Guiacares or Zakiri in January uh, if and when we, we need that, you know, when the cup games are not coming thick and fast, when we're in a decent kind of, you know, if we're in a situation where we can afford to loan one out, I think that is the plan. Um, but I don't think that it's so rigid as that already. I think that he is going to get his chance to show it. Like you said, like, why not both? I think that they probably will both get a chance personally. And I think that one of them, whoever doesn't show enough will probably be the one that is loaned out in January. I think that's probably right, but I'm not sure it's definitely going to be him. I think there will be a, an opportunity for someone there to win a place. And and further, just a little bit, speaking of, of Potter and like weird tactical decisions and weird subs and stuff, there's no telling how Zakiri would even potentially fit in to say they're even going to play him as just an up top striker. You know, there's, there's a chance that they have him as a, as a high attacking mid or they think Kyle Karras can fit that role. You know, there's so many ways that, that, that it seems a plug and play in, in his system that we know we need a striker, but he likes to put people where he likes to put people, which is anywhere right? Like Alzate's played midfielder this whole season. And that's shocking <laughs> to me because of where he was all last year, just scattered all over the place. Maybe it's having Zakiri poke here and there in the Carabao or in the under 23s and seeing like, Oh, maybe we've got a left winger here that we can actually use, or maybe he's going to be better suited as like a really high up. Don't even touch, don't even chase, don't even play any defense, but a target up top. Yeah, you know, I don't know. There's, there's just the the endless possibilities with Potter too. I think, yeah, I think it's spot on. Um, match review time. Let's move on. Uh, hopefully, we can get that striker signing over the line by the end of this week. Um, so we've at least got another option in some way, shape, or form. Uh, because hitting the target uh, is is somewhat of a problem for the Albion. Uh, we ended the game today 3-2. It probably should have been 7-3 to us uh, with the amount of chances we missed. Um, talking about moments and the manner in which the Albion lost today, 
um, let's hit them kind of piece by piece. Uh, the lineup came up. The lineup lineup came out. Um, what were your initial thoughts on the lineup? There was no Jason Malumbi, despite him being admitted from the Carabao Cup. Everybody thought he was going to play a part. Nope, he did not. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we were we kind of went pretty attacking. Yeah, I think for me, I expected you're not you're not going to have Basuma. Connolly or Malumbi was the pick. So to see Connolly out there, it just, I don't know. It, it felt like we were going to go for it. And that is such a, such a bittersweet pill against the top six team. Because every time we've gone for it, we've looked really good, but we still usually get like just drubbed. So it was kind of a fasten your seatbelts. This is going to be, fun and probably frustrating. And I guess it was kind of right in that way, but uh, it's nice that we've got a a regular side. We've got the same 13 or 14 players, depending, you know, red cards for Basuma and that or injuries for Lalana and that, that we can depend on. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I I mean, I definitely thought Malumbi would be the starter. So I was shocked as well. Um, But kind of talking about the flashpoints, goal number one, the penalty uh, was won by Tarek Lamptey. Um, that was his first touch in the box all game, uh, compared to the game before where he literally terrified everybody down there. He made he made St. Maximum quit after half an hour, just outright quit and walk off the pitch. Uh, he made Jamal Lewis look slow when he is definitely not. Um, he had one touch in the penalty box in the first half and he won the penalty uh, from Bruno Fernandes, who escaped a second yellow card. Um, first of all, thoughts on the way Lamptey was used today. Second of all, uh, do you think Bruno should have had a yellow card? Third question, how did you feel about the choice Mopai made when he made that penalty in the way he did? Okay, so uh, <laughs> going, in, going in order, thought they were sort of reserved with Lamptey and... I don't think it was because he was playing Manchester United instead of Newcastle. I think he's talented enough to stick with it. I think they were obviously aware of the speed that Manchester had at their in their arsenal, so they didn't want him to have to chase back over and over again. So, yeah, for it to be 38 minutes in and him getting to the box finally, it, was, it felt weird. I, I wish they were a little bit more aggressive with him on that side. In hindsight, definitely wish Bruno had gotten the second yellow. (laughs) That would have have probably resolved a lot. Uh, I don't know if... I think the penalty on Lamptey was softer than his first yellow. And he definitely had a harder penalty afterwards, and they didn't card him again. So I understand why they wouldn't in a scoreless game at that point, but... I wish he'd drawn the yellow just to be spiteful. And the Mope attempt and score on the penalty kick was, uh, you love to see it. <laughs> you just, you love, it was, it's entirely, that's, that is Mope. Like, you know, it got under De Gea's skin. You know, it got under everybody else's skin. And unfortunately, <laughs> uh, Manchester had the last laugh overall. We'll get to that, obviously. But, yeah, I, I thought it was uh, extremely cheeky. I hope he doesn't do it again, honestly, because that would suck to get that save. 
on that kind of a shot and just show your ass. I thought it was going over the bar on first hit. Like that, that live moment when he hit the ball, I thought he was chipping it over the bar. Yeah, it looked like it was high into the left. Yeah, it did. Like the, the depth perception in these games sometimes drives me insane because I thought it was, I, my heart was in my throat. I was like, really? Like, really? You, we've been talking about the fact that you're a good striker and you do this, but he got away with it. So goal number two was about two minutes after the first one. Um, I've said this on a couple of episodes and we've talked about it a couple of times. Brighton have under Graham Potter, a quite severe knack of scoring very quickly after conceding, which is good and conceding very quickly after scoring is very bad um the set piece was a very silly one to give away i thought there was no need to give away the ball right there in that super dangerous area with the people they have um what do you like what do you think it is that makes this team so good at both of those things so good at conceding right after scoring and so good at scoring right after conceding it's a strange like synergy to have between the two yeah, it, I think it's. I think that we run at the same speed all match long. Like we have, we're making the same passes we make in minute two as minute ninety two, and there's still the same burst all over the field. There's all that stuff, but it feels like when we concede and we have to score again that there's that little plus 10%, you know, or chip on your shoulder or focus, whatever you want to call it, almost a smelling salt effect. It snaps everybody into it. And then boom, we're threatening again and prob- and, and maybe score. When, when we concede immediately afterwards, it doesn't seem like we're going negative 10%. It just feels like we're not accounting for the other team doing the exact same. Like, I think more often than not, any any sport anywhere, right, when you get down, you come out more fired up. We don't seem to be able to account for that going the other way, <laughs> defending. And I think it it hurts when, when you have someone like Troussard, that foul seemed pretty unnecessary anyways. And, and like, side note, that's yellow, but the Bruno on Lamptey is not. I don't understand that, except I do. It's Manchester, right? But And there was yeah, another yeah. incident a little further on with Ben White doing the exact same challenge on Pogba, which also drew a yellow. And that was also just, you know, right around the same situation that was just unexplainable to me. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's us not adjusting to the fire of another team who just allowed a goal. And then I think there is still, and I I don't watch, I'm guilty of not watching other teams, right? Brighton are like 90% of my intake. So I don't see a whole lot of Liverpool against West Ham matches, you know, or things of that nature, but the free kick like bugaboo we have that we can't seem to shake whether it be set pieces uh, or corners or free kicks, however it is, it always, it always makes me nervous no matter what. So Bruno almost got snuck one in earlier in the match on a free kick. And then 
that bullet that he threw in there for them to score, for McGuire to score. Yeah, I think that's how I'd explain it. I just don't think we're adjusting to to the intensity of a desperate team. I think we'll talk about it as well. Uh, but uh, much to your knowledge, I expect, uh, it wasn't a Maguire goal, actually. It was a Duncan goal. Um, I know you own him in Fantasy Premier League, so you will be made painfully, yeah. painfully aware of that if you didn't already. Yeah, he used well his foot against him. <laughs> he basically kicked through his leg. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah that's a... It was it was classic donkey trying everything <laughs> to get his body in the way and it just going horribly wrong. Um, I also wonder if there's a bit of that naivety youth in there as well. Like they're just they're just a little bit naive when it comes to the to the conceding right after scoring. Like they they've maybe got a little bit of adrenaline going. Like they've got that. It's it's though it's those moments when you turn around and go that's when you need a couple of experienced heads to lead the way. And we currently don't have a whole lot of them. Yeah, someone to tighten up the boxing glove. You know, after, after a round you've won, instead of just, it, it feels like, again, not that we're, we're coasting, we're playing our game, but you can't play the same game. You can't play... 90 minutes exactly the same. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work that way, especially when the team is desperate that you're playing against. You can, when you're playing uh, Portsmouth, you know, <laughs> yeah. like that's fine, but you can't do that against uh, just assume any team in the premier league. There's 19 teams. You cannot do that against, and it should be pretty simple, but yeah, it seems to be a, a, a constant. Um, we're living in the moment and then oops, oops. We just allowed another goal. Damn. Yep. I think goal number three, Marcus Rashford, counterattack, very nice. Not much to really cover here. This is a classic, you know, very, very good side, very, very top side with rapid forwards catching us on a counterattack, as is want to happen, every, you know, half a dozen times every single year. Uh, very well taken goal. You know, he he turned Ben White inside out. He couldn't really do a great deal about it. Um, but in between that, there were two penalty shots for Connolly. One outright given by the referee, who was then, in my opinion, pressured to change his mind, uh, given that apparently they said down the headset that he was encouraged to take a second look due to doubts, not just take a second look, um, which is a sketchy wording. Uh, but two penalty shots for Connolly. Um, to me, uh, the one that was given and then taken away um, was a stonewall penalty. Uh, it is, it is something that all good strikers uh, are taught to do. They're taught to do exactly what Connolly did. Um, he won the ball. He got ahead of the defender and then put his body in the way. That's literally striker one hundred and one. Like I was a shit striker, but you were always told like if you got into the box like, and you had a chance, just make sure that you're ahead of the defender and that he's got to come through you to get the ball. And that's exactly what Connolly did. And that's exactly how players like, ironically, Bruno Fernandes and others win penalties. It was bizarre to me for them to then turn that around and say no. And then not only that, but they then chose not to book Connolly for diving. So what was it? Like, it's very strange. Like, how can you call it? How can you overturn it? And then not book him for diving. So if it's not a dive, 
and he took out the man without touching the ball, then surely it's a foul. I've, I've got probably a bad opinion on this. I, you're right. Like Pogba overran him at that 46-minute overturn. And I can't remember who didn't even get a penalty or get a yellow or anything that tackled him in the 57th minute as well. I do wonder if when you have such small guys or size discrepancies and – I don't think Connolly, I don't think Lamptey are, are dive artists continuously. <laughs> they are simply small players in a big player league for the most part. Like they're, they're small. They just are. I'm wondering if bigger players are starting to get a benefit of the doubt in those scenarios. And it's, and they're looking at it like, yeah, you know, you, you kind of knocked Connolly over, but like, listen, the guy's 160 pounds, like, you know, at this, uh, you know, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a bad take, but I think there might be something like that where, because Connolly was really great at drawing fouls last season. Like that was his contribution when he didn't score for so long was that he could at least get us, you know, uh, free kicks. Yeah. I wonder if there's that sort of mentality given maybe specifically for Connolly and maybe eventually to Lamptey, but that's just kind of thinking out loud. You maybe think he's getting a bit of a name for himself throughout exactly. referee worlds, like, yeah, Zaha, it, like Zaha and yes. Dra- and Jack Grealish. And yeah, and not like not that. as much as like man, that Connolly kid really uh, really likes to take a dive. It's more like man, that Connolly kid really fights hard, but boy, he can't stay on his feet when he's playing against a six foot one guy or, you know, whatever it is, I think there's some reputation there, at least with, with today's officiating crew. Yes. Maybe not all across the league. Maybe that's just conspiracy that I'm, that I'm floating for no reason, but it was clear that he didn't care. Connolly was getting taken to the ground. And even when he did, he then got overturned by VAR. So someone, someone did not agree with Connolly and they didn't think he was diving. They just don't think that he was worthy of a, of a foul. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? And, I mean, I know we all remember the Everton game with the VAR where he trod on his foot, and there was a lot of controversy around that. And I can't help but wonder if that's the thing that's kind of tainted him ever since. Um, I don't want to dwell too much on the next conversation because I'm still really annoyed about it. But let's talk about the final 10 minutes of the match. Uh there was five minutes of added time added. So, of course, we're playing Manchester United. Uh, we are always going to see some Fergie time. Uh, I did not expect to see 10 minutes of added time after seeing an initial five. Um, goal number four, Solly March. 94 minutes and 32 seconds on the clock by my count. The ball crossed the line. Um, and we then played on for a further 120 plus seconds before the corner was given. And then of course the rest of it. Um, what do you make of the whole thing? Let's just talk about the whole thing as, as a, as an entity in and of itself, the March goal, the celebrations, the kickoff, the, the two or three minutes that we played in between that and the corner. Was it a corner? Um, the handball, the penalty, the restart, all the bullshit. Happy that March realized 
that uh, kicking it was not his way to score a goal. Sixth or seventh time the charm. So I was extremely excited to see him score. You expect some time to be added, at least I do, in extra time when there's a celebration. So if it's 95 minutes or it's a five-minute over and they score in the fourth and they spend 50 seconds celebrating, then cool, I'm expecting it to end about 96 minutes. They didn't celebrate that long, right? Like it was clear they knew what had just happened, but also to get back to it so they could end this thing and secure the point. So for it to take another three minutes for the cross as the evidence that I've seen um, from you, whether or not it was a cross or not, I don't think you should have given it. When it went out of play, that's it. Don't even bother because you've hit the time. So I think that in and of itself stressful for me. It's annoying to me. The cross, the then, the effort for March to make the save. I just thought, like, I already had him written down as man of the match before. Like, they blew the final whistle, and I was like, March is man of the match. He's got it. Done. And then the handball thing, and, like, his hand should have been up there. I think we can agree on that. Yep. Um, Definitely no disagreement, yeah. Yeah, but you blew the whistle. I don't know who the ref was. I only know a few by name. Okay. Yeah, I know a few by name, and it's always for bad reasons. So yeah, well, add him to that list. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it looks looks like you just got you just got added to the list. I you blew the final whistle. There's speaking only in college football terms. In the last twenty years, that's happened maybe once, and it's never happened since where a final whistle happened and they tried to come back and bring people on the field and replay a field goal or whatever it was. Final whistles are called final whistles. Like that's it. And to your point, I believe you've, you've used the, the Villa scenario from last season a few times on this show, like a final whistle is a final whistle. I don't know why. I do know why. It's Manchester, but I don't know what what sort of argument warranted them saying, yep, let's go to VAR after the final whistle has been blown to review this. What's more frustrating for me is that after the fact, the Daily Mirror posted an article very quickly on the rules behind the VAR restart and were very honest and forthright in showing that they broke the rules to do it in that as of right now under the VAR legislature, whatever it is, um, you can, if you are going to make a decision, uh, you can actually make a decision between halftime because it's considered a break in play. It is not the end of play. It is simply considered a break in play. So if you were wanting to go out there and rectify a decision, e.g. Villa, Sheffield United, uh, that is within the laws of the game to do so. Uh, however, as I understand it from the from the article I wrote, read rather uh, that you know was from somebody who had obviously done their research and had the information on hand. Um, the rule is that when you get to the end of the game and you want to blow for full time, uh, and VAR are wanting to make a decision, you are supposed to have the following happen: 
VAR uh, or the monitor or who, whoever it is, you know, that fifth official, the, the referee that's watching the game on the monitors is supposed to immediately let you know that they are making a check on something, which there was ample time for them to do that from the moment he headed the ball to they all appealed handball, blah, 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 blah. If they wanted to do that, he the referee is then supposed to blow the whistle once, stop play, and let them know that the game is going to, that the, we are doing a VAR decision and then we are finishing the game. Instead, he blew for the full time whistle and finished the game. According to that article, it is not allowed to then re- be restarted. That is, that is not the, it's not in the laws of the game. Um, apparently, there was something that happened in the Bundesliga last year that they actually went over and overturned a half-time decision. Um, and the referee explained at the end, and he said that if that was a full-time, that wouldn't have been possible. That's against the rules. Uh, and that's a, you know, a FIFA thing. So to me, it sounds like we got absolutely bent over and just, just absolutely cheated out of the whole thing. Um, it's not fun. It was infuriating. I like that you went with Solly March for your man of the match to start with. Um, who was your man of the match in the end? Who was who was the one that stood out to you as your? We'll go through standouts, a couple of people who stood out to you, and then uh, maybe a couple of disappointments. Alzate is my hot and cold player of the week. He he looked really tired at the end, very early on. He looked. He I mean he had a turnover I think in the first minute that almost gave up a goal. Alzate was probably my lowest rated player and I don't think he was particularly bad. My my man of the match or or let's just do a top 3 my standout Trissard, Mope, March. All three of them despite the misfires and the cross posts and the woodwork and all that other stuff they all three seemed game to take it to United. And and I think most of the team did. They specifically stood out for me. White stood out. He was really great. Lalana played really well. It seemed like Lalana and Lamptey were both that play was taken either either Manchester forced us left or we just weren't willing to go right. And maybe, you know, maybe they'll learn. But they just weren't marking March the way they were marking Lamptey. Ultimately, I think March is my man of the match. He he played – he was in the right position pretty much every single minute of the match, whether he scored or didn't score or missed or – or needed, needed needed to chest it down into the net. He was everywhere, and all over Juan Basaka. Yeah, yeah, he put Juan Basaka on skates constantly. I don't like. I I text Kyle today, Manchester United fan. And I said he he needs to change his boots. The guy was skating everywhere today. Um, so like March and Trossard were part of my duds and goods selection. Uh, they were really, there was so much good, but so much crap about them. Um, 
I had some stats here. They had nine shots between them. Four of them hit the woodwork, two were on target, and we got one goal out of it. They had 16 crosses between them and only two were accurate. We were obviously robbed in a whole bunch of ways at the end in that last five minutes, but we also did a very good job at beating ourselves today with how wasteful we were. Um, with Martin Trossard being the, by far and away, primary corporates. Um, do you think we need to replace Solly March or do you believe that given his first three performances of the year at left wing back, he is someone that we should be looking to rely on this year as, as that first choice left wing back. And we can maybe save some money on, you know, a potential loan signing or anything, you know, we considered left wing back and striker to be the two spots we needed. Do you think that that is still relevant now? Or do you think that Solly has given enough of a message to Graham Potter, despite the shortcomings that we have seen that he is the man to, to play the majority of this season. The only sign to me that, that goes against him being the starter throughout the rest of the season. And, and the thing that would keep me from saying we shouldn't find either a replacement or a very sturdy backup. If we don't think we already have one is the health issues he had last year. If that happens again, we we do not want to be left, as no pun intended, but left without him with with the kind of things he can contribute to the team. I think you could probably find. Uh, I guess who who would you consider his direct backup now? Is it Bernardo or is it Dan Byrne? Like we saw Dan Byrne make so many appearances there last year but he hasn't played a single minute at left wing back this year yeah. or left back really at all. Like when he's played in a cups, he's played in center, at center half. And Bernardo has shown a very hot and cold nature in the cup matches. Yep. And I think it's right to be critical of him. If, if you only needed him for three or four matches, I think a rotation or, or, or either burn and Bernardo could get the job done on a team that could secure staying out of the relegation zone. I don't think that March is only going to miss three or four games. Like, I don't think, I think there's, he's used so often and he runs so frequently. I think, I think he's, I don't want to call him injury prone. It feels rude, but I wouldn't want to depend on him for 32 matches. No, I think that's fair. I mean, his track record shows that he is he is kind of injury prone. Um, it's tough, so, ain't it? Like because he is playing so well, so like you don't want to bring somebody in who is expecting to start because you you're riding it in college football and NFL and every other American sporting term. You're like this. We're we're riding the hot hand right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Solly March. Like he is, he is on form. He's continuing to grow every game. It would be crazy for us to bring in, you know, a Ryan Sessegnon who is an incredibly talented young man. If we weren't going to play him, like it seems weird to do that. But then, if we don't do that, why are we going to get a backup that is maybe no better than Bernardo or Burn? Like it's a, 
it's a really weird situation to be in. Yeah. It, the, the other tricky part of it too is, is we spoke earlier on the contributions from Ali Reza and how he wasn't given that chance at the end of last season. And, and you, I know thought he was gone. Yep. And I thought the same thing just based off usage. I, I would hate to bring someone in and have to relive that again and potentially have eight, 12, whatever, however many million that you need to bring in someone that you think is a suitable Premier League left back, even as a sub, and us play that game all over again. March is homegrown, right? So I love that they're, they're letting him ride it. Um, I love that he's able to contribute at a very real level. I would probably stay in the Zakiri neighborhood of price if I was going to bring in another left wing back. I would probably bring in someone that's 20, 21, that's young, that's proven they can do it above whatever level, whatever level they're playing at currently. Maybe that's the second tier Swiss league or the second tier Spanish league or whatever, whatever league it's from. There's, there's a person out there that can fit that role. I just, I would want us to be smart with the money because I think, I think the, the issue with Ali Reza not panning out at first and then just not getting playing time wasn't necessarily poor Ali Reza. Everybody loves him. Everybody does. But it was also that price tag before yeah. he came in. Yeah. I mean, massive price tag. And it's like, yeah, it's a weird position because like, if we're going to buy somebody, you're right. Like, it would seem strange to buy somebody who is like a plug and play because March is playing so well, unless they're just like an outrageous upgrade. Like if they're like a Marcus Alonso or somebody yeah. who somehow comes to us, like who isn't going to get all the time in the world at Chelsea, something like that. Like I get it, but like you're in a situation, especially financially, it's like, okay, so do you go for a loan? Like, and if you do go for a loan and you do go for somebody like Sessegnon, you know, you're like, okay, well, are you going to be able to give me game time? Maybe. Well, I'm I'm wanting to go on loan to get first team football. Well, that's a possibility, but you've got to earn it. And currently, our left wing back has earned it. So you've got to come and do that. Are they going to be willing to? Are there are their host club like you know their current club that they're owned by going to be willing to give them out for that uncertainty? Um, we've all played football manager. People, I'm not happy if they don't play my player when they say they're going to. And I'm sure that, you know, Jose isn't going to be any happier in real life. Um, so, like... It's why you know, I never loan out to the MLS. They never give the playing time they promise. It's absolutely... <laughs> it's a mess. It's a disaster. My favorite part of this, though, is very unexpected. Uh, hit me out of nowhere. Um, but we're going to have... Uh, you may have lost me some listeners uh, by saying Stephen Alzate was one of my duds or one of your duds, or I'm going to lose me listeners uh, because I have Alzate as my man of the match. <laughs> it, so we are, we are <laughs> to it. Someone in their car is either saying thank you or what are you talking about and turning me off? No, this um, is easy, man. Just blame it, blame it on the American if, uh, if you're not American. And if you are American, then it's the British guy that's wrong. It's clear, right? <laughs> Alzate was fantastic. Like, he, he, he was really, really good. There were just 
I almost brought it up when we were talking about Dale Stevens. There's certain passes that Alzate makes, and it's not just this match that that either result in a turnover or get us really, really close. That Lamptey throw in later on, and I don't have the timestamp on it, but he was if there was a different midfielder there like Dale Stevens, I think there's a better outlet and we don't almost give up a goal again. I was really shocked pleasantly, like pleasantly surprised at how ably Alzate was able to do a very Bissuma like job. Yeah. He, he ran with it. Well, like, he, he made like the stats I have here. Uh, he attempted 51 passes today. 47 of them found their man. Um, 16 out of 17 of them, importantly, were in the final third. Uh, he ranked second on the pitch for successful take-ons, four out of six. Uh, funnily enough, Big Solly March was number one. Uh, as you said, he had one Bissaka just dead to rights all game. Um, he made 12 ball recoveries, which was more than anybody else. Second place was uh, Solly March and Nemanja Matic on nine each. Um, and 50% of those 12 were in the opposition half. Like his ability to press today, I thought, and then distribute the ball as like, as I said, like 47 out of 51 found their man, like his ability to take the ball off of the opposition and then play the ball was just unbelievable. I thought the problem is where you said, like, I would definitely agree that of those four passes that weren't accurate, two of them were hospital passes that, like, could have cost us two goals. And they're also the kind of passes that we both say that's a pretty, it's a pretty Brighton way when you're playing a top six team is play perfectly and we make that one pass. That's our one mistake. And then the floodgates open, or it ends up being what 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 ends up losing the game or deciding you points. Um, yeah, it it didn't happen for Alzate. I think it's just it's the top of my list. You know, I timestamp different events throughout the thing, so I just keep seeing Alzate with almost a costly turnover just screaming back at me. Yeah, it's probably unfair. I I, I should probably adjust it a little bit, but I was trying to find a fall guy here. <laughs> that was the easiest one. He you just, you just well. replaced Dale Stevens for Stephen Alzate. Like, call it. Like, that's <laughs> you just found <laughs> a new scapegoat. Yeah, um, Alzate is my new scapegoat. And I, and like you said, playing like Basuma, he did when he was bringing it out of our defensive half. He looked very Basuma ish. The way he would carry it with a little bit of heavy touch and and separating himself from whatever forwards were up there for Manchester United, it, he, he did look the, look the part, which is at least something, you know, it's yeah. Agreed. Um, final word on the United match. Uh, there seems to be two schools of thought right now. Uh, yes, we lost, but we look great doing it. Lots of reasons to be cheerful and positive uh, going forward with that kind of performance. There's no way we'll be, you know, in any too deeper danger this year. Uh, we're coming away from this annoyed, disappointed, but very happy for the future. And the other school of thought is playing pretty football and doing really well doesn't win you points. And there's a reason to be concerned at the sheer amount of chances we are spurning in front of goal. Where are you on that spectrum of one to 10? Where's your Albion mojo in terms of that? Where are you on that scale? I feel great about this team in terms of 
us not getting relegated. After three matches, I've seen enough to make me think that we may still have some stress, but I think we're going to get through it. And I'm always going to feel pretty good about outclassing a top six team, despite maybe not having the firepower. In this case, it was firepower directed towards the net and not the goalpost. Knowing that this match could have been five to three us, doesn't make me sleep any better at night. But I do think that it's probably good for the health of everything outside of the team. All of the supporters or people that have not yet decided on a team purely from like a marketing standpoint, Brighton plays beautiful football, man. And that at some point also helps you sign people or a person. So Keep the pretty football up. Make us competitive against top six team. I'm here for it. It's really going to be at the end of the year, I'm probably going to judge us more on how many draws have we had that should have been wins. Because last season, that was it. Us having a 2-1 lead and then giving up a dumb goal. We haven't... Necess- I mean, we have in this game, but it was a ref thing. <laughs> I expect a point tomorrow morning to be awarded to Brighton. That's, that's, that's <laughs> how I'm going to... I think that would be wonderful. Uh, but we have to move on, I think. And, you know, I'm sure that they'll maybe add an extra clause in there that's going to pretend that they never changed it or some bullshit. Um, can, but- can I ask you something before you answer that same question? Yeah. I've seen... Over the last few weeks, just in uh, in the most vile places on earth, aka social media, it seems to me that most people don't think they think Graham Potter's either a con artist or he's not the real deal. He's just smoke and mirrors. Do you think that that concern is purely because of the results we just spoke about where we're playing pretty football, but we don't finish. Or do you think it's just, you know, fan bases being fan bases? Both. But I think that it's primarily the same reason that everybody gave Chris Hutton so much time when we got promoted and we played that first season and he ended up being manager for the entire second season, despite how dire it was at times people were willing to allow him a ton of chances simply because of this such immense first four years he had. I think Potter is suffering the same fate in that his first year was very hot and cold and he didn't know what his best first 11 was. He didn't know what his best formation was. And the key criticism we all had, and we we just talked about it just before the Manchester United review there, is that his team had a tendency never to take the shot and never to pull the trigger. And that is a very common criticism for any team that plays really nice football. They always try and walk it in, right? That's like the cliche. Like they always just say it about Arsenal's old, like under Wenger. It was like the the problem with Arsenal is, is they always try and walk it in. Like, but we're seeing already this season that that isn't the case. Like we are peppering them with shots like we are not shy we're we're shy from scoring (laughs) 
against big teams, but we're not shy of trying to pull the trigger anymore. And I think those people who think that, or at least are coming back with the same opinions they had last year, are going to be the slowest ones to turn. But I think as the season goes on, you will see them turn away from that con artist idea of like, he's got nothing. He's, you know, he he managed in Sweden, so what? He didn't do anything for Swansea. But he only had one year at Swansea. He had the same experience as he had here. He felt them out and he still got them to a pretty good finish despite the shit show Swansea owners gave him. So so I guess the the other part of that question would be in a vacuum, right? If if I'm if I had started supporting Brighton the year they came up and I didn't know anything about Uton in the championship. I'm just saying, here's this new shiny blue thing that came into the Premier League. I like them. And I'm judging Uton in a vacuum in the Premier League, and I'm judging Potter in a vacuum in the Premier League. It'd be tough from what I've seen, and I wasn't there for year one. So, you know, forgive me, uh, all of you fans who have accepted me. Uh, I'd take Potter like five times out of five. And I like pretty football, so I'm also like guilty there. And that's not a, that's not a minority opinion. Like, okay, thank every, you. Everybody right, knew. Option, then you, you agree <laughs> with me. Everybody knew that Chris Hutton was going to play defensive football. Everybody knew the start of football he was going to play if he got promoted. Everybody knew that the type of player he would look for. Everybody knew what they were going to get, and we were fine with it because he'd got us promoted. Why wouldn't we be fine with it? And he is a manager that has been serially underappreciated by teams and he wasn't given that treatment in my opinion he was he was given the full t- like full season to rescue himself and he managed to by the skin of his teeth but he did manage to but everybody even the people who were like firmly in the hute and in camp if they could have a team playing nicer football and still creating chances everybody's going to pick that team like everybody prefers nicer football and that's what we're getting on the par. So I think that there's not a single person out there that would prefer to watch Hewton ball to Potterball. Even at their, even Hewton at its best in the Premier League, you would rather watch a standard game of Potterball this year, which is since the restart, let's say since the restart, you'd rather watch a standard game of Potterball than Hewton's best because the style is just so much easier on the eye and it's exciting. And we look like we're going to score goals and scoring goals is fun. <laughs> so Yes. Scoring goals is good. Scoring, not scoring goals is bad. This is, this has been your American take on Brighton. <laughs> yeah, of what you. I'd like to see from Potter moving forward. Thank you for my listening to my Ted talk. Uh, we'll yeah, see you all next week. <laughs> last, last thing to cover is Everton next up. Uh, Everton have had a hell of a start to the season. Like, they are killing it. Uh, I believe that their win against Palace today put them top of the league. Um, I'm not sure if they're still there. I'll have to have a quick check. Um, but they, yes, they are. They're 9 they for are. 9. Yep, they've won all three of their games so far this season. Eight goals for, three against. Um, the first two games of the season... They looked very convincing in their wins. Uh, they dispatched of Tottenham, albeit only 1-0. They dispatched of them quite comfortably. And then they hammered West Brom last week with that 5-2 win. 
This week, though, was a very lucky victory, all told, I felt. Um, they won 2-1 away to Palace. Did you have a chance to see the handball decision on Joel Ward? No. Was it as critical as the Mope one? Worse. Oh, no. It was absurd. Um, I strongly encourage you to go, A, go watch it real quick on Reddit. I'm sure they'll have like a highlight of it. And B, go and watch Roy Hodgson's post-match interview because he just did a fantastic job of explaining how stupid this rule is of this handball is handball meme um, that they're seeming to introduce this year. And I thought there was a lot of reasons to think that we have prior to today, I thought Everton would all over it. Like they looked so dangerous today. There was a lot of reasons to feel cheerful that we may be able to get around them and cause them problems. Um, have you had a chance to watch Everton at all this year? I know, like you said, you know, 90% of your intake is the Albion games. So have you had a chance to see them at all this year? Uh, I just I just saw the handball um, live action. Looks like they're wearing our kits, though. <laughs> the yellow and blue. Um, yeah. They are very similar. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, no, I haven't had a chance to watch Everton this season. Um, I, I, again, uh, it's, it's heavily uh, Brighton-influenced. I have a toddler, a daughter that is uh, fantastic, but the weekends I get to spend the most time with her, so as little time I set aside as possible. Um, and typically 90 minutes is just perfect for me. Uh, but what you've, what you've said about it, it sounds like they're due. Don't you think? I think they're due for a loss. I mean, they yeah, lost I, mean, all year. I think we'll be able to sneak up on them. If Palace, well, Palace might be better than we think to, I guess, with what they did to Manchester, but we could have done the same thing to them. Yeah, I mean, we could have we could have probably got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a sack today if we'd have gone out there and scored the goals we should have because they didn't look any better today. They just got lucky. Um, but so Everton... They play a 4-3-3 primarily. Uh, they have Calvert-Lewin up front with Richarlison and new signing James Rodriguez uh, next to him, kind of quite tight, uh, narrow front three. Um, and then with an all-new beast midfield, uh, Alan from, I think he was from Napoli, uh, Decore from uh, Watford, uh, and then Andre Gomez, who is back after a very, very, very long injury. Uh, I think he came back in the restart, maybe a little bit earlier than that even, but it looks like he's finally getting proper minutes in him. Uh, it was a horror injury, so I'm glad that he's back, although not against us. Um, and then they will have Seamus Coleman and Luca Dina bombing on from kind of fullback. So when they go forward, they have essentially a front five with Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, Hamas Rodriguez, Coleman and Dina uh, all around that kind of just a straight wall of five. Um, what do you think you would like to see, given that information, uh, our lineup to look like, given that Bissouma will be back? So in all, th- in all theory, we should have a fully fit team, barring, of course, Izquierdo, who hopefully we may see a glimpse of uh, this midweek, and the- Christian Walton, who obviously isn't going to start anyway. I was going to leave with Bissouma. I think... With, with the way that Alzate played today, too, 
I think I, I probably go with Basuma, Alzate, Lalana in the middle, and then have Mope and Trissard up top, even though we know Trissard goes a little bit everywhere. I think with, with Alzate and, and Basuma both tracking back, assuming Everton's pushing forward with, you know, three to five at any given time, and with what the talent we have on that back line, I, I know they're immensely talented, and I know it'd be foolish to say I'm not worried, but I don't think we're going to have a marking problem. And, and, and to, be, to be quite honest, I'm not afraid of Decure. I'm not. I saw how he played down that stretch uh, last year. I, I'm not worried about him. Richarlison worries, worries me a little bit. Uh, Rodriguez worries me a little bit. But I think that we saw, going back to just that Rashford goal, he turned Ben White inside out, but Ben White could have stopped after he went down the first time and he hustled. And Dunk was still in the right position and it deflected off his rear end into the net, which yep. unfortunate. It seems like those bounces go against us more than for us, but but still like we're in positions. I'm not I'm not totally worried about it. What worries me mostly is how how much we'll be able to crack through their defense. They, they, they haven't looked untouchable back there. I don't know what kind of a threat we can pose to, to Pickford. We know, we know Pickford can, can play top notch football back there, but I, I think there's an opportunity for us. I, I'm expecting a draw, like just outright at least. I would be very happy with a point away at Everton with the form they've came in with, uh, Funnily enough, I think that the winning that wide battle is going to be key. I think that if Lamptey and March can cause major problems for Dina and Coleman, I think that we're going to have them on a plate because they're not going to... That's that's the majority of their danger, that overlap and overload on one side, right? Like they have Richarlison and Dina on one side and then they have Calvert Lewin up there too, and then you have, and then Gomez. So then you start having people having to drag out of the position and drag out of the way, and like it all goes screwed up, and you end up being overloaded. And then someone like Hamas Rodriguez is on the other side and just rips you a new one. I think if you have Lamptey in March up there, which I'm sure we will, I think we'll probably roll out. I, I would like to see the same lineup that you mentioned. Uh, I think that it would be the right kind of game to go back to that lineup that we put against Chelsea the same one that you were just talking about, just straight up. Connolly out, Basuma in, and that's it. Revert to that three in the midfield, go toe-to-toe with them there, and rely on our wide men beating their wide men. Because I think that, I think Tarek Lamptey can have Luca Dina on toast. And I think that Coleman is a shadow of the player he was since the injury that he got a while ago. And I think that given Solly's confidence level, after today, I hope <laughs> he can probably cause him plenty of problems too. Yeah, I, I like I like the I like having that much speed out there, especially when when March and, and Lamptey are both they're not liabilities when they're marking out wide and just setting three midfielders like Basuma, Alzate, and Lalana that can drift back and just fill that space to keep them from coming in. It, it worked against, it worked against uh, Chelsea until, you know, that worldly shot, like 
keeping them as far away as possible through the center. Uh, and, and we didn't even allow except one very, very unfortunate corner against Manchester United. So I think I like that tech. I, I like gaining possession in the midfield. I don't like having to chase on the sides. And I think that lineup allows us to do that. I think that's fair. Um, score prediction? 2-2 two, two, uh, and four shots on the woodwork. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Could you imagine if we do it again? All oh, my days. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I might turn it off. Uh, yeah, that would be as close as I would come. Nine times in, in two games, I would want to cry. Um, I would be delighted with 2-2, two, two, honestly. Um, uh, yeah, I'll go with 2-2 two, two as well. I think that we're not going to be able to keep them out because I think they are a very potent attacking force these days, but I don't think that they're going to be able to keep us out either because Michael Keane and Yerry Mina at centre-half are just not that special at all. Like, they are prone to be beaten. Um, and Trossard loves to cause Everton problems. So, I mean, I would like to see that happen. Um, final topic of the evening. We've gone a while here, so fair play if anybody's carried on and held on here. Um, but... <laughs> First of all, let's congratulate Abtin Mortazavi. I really am so sorry if I butchered that name, uh, Abtin. Um, his team, Abtin Jahanbaksh, keeping me keeping me honest with these fucking names, um, is flying at the top of the Together BHA podcast league in Fantasy Premier League. He has 187 points over the opening uh, two weeks, three weeks. And... He is 30 points ahead of everybody else. Um, he is killing it. Uh, do you have any uh, advice you would like to give anybody uh, for fantasy football this week? Any players that you would like to look out for? Any transfers you would consider in making? I don't know if you've checked out Apton, but uh, if you look at the leaderboard, he's second in the entire Czech Republic in fantasy. Is he? League. Yes. Which is oh my um, goodness. Let's wait, let's take over the whole country. Let's have Brighton just blew it out. I would I don't I don't really have any advice, except I I heard I read that buy expensive players, right? It's not worth trying to find a bargain. Buy expensive players and then continuously try to get more expensive players. It seems kind of like a no-brainer here. But I'm going with uh, Richarlison, Jimenez, and Ings up top, and it has done really well for me. So if you're looking for the 8 million region for a striker, that's who I'd go with. And I believe it is Ings that has a load of good fixtures coming ahead with West Brom. That might be this week. No, that's next week. Uh, West Brom, Chelsea, Everton, Villa, Newcastle. Yep, you're right. Yep. Then uh, his, so Ings. Up until, game Ings. Week, up until game week 10, his fixtures are very nice. Very nice indeed. I think that's why I've got Car Walker Peters as well. Might hope to get a couple of clean sheets out of that. <laughs> um, yeah, holy shit. Abton, you're killing it, dude. You're in the top 8,000. And it is... Of overall, like in the entire game, out of like six million people, six point eight million players, he is eight thousand two hundred and twenty ninth overall. So massive fair play to you. Uh, I just looked at his history, and last year he finished uh, in the one point two millions. So <laughs> I don't know 
what he's been doing over the summer. He's had a long, uh, he's had a long quarantine. Clearly, he's performance been enhancement for fantasy. <laughs> he's been running algorithms. The boy's been like channeling <laughs> FPL, like AI or something. But it's like, what been... league is he second in? Is the crazy thing? He's he's not leading the other another league, which is insane. Yeah. On, on... And not only that, but you know, like I said, that there would be a prize at the end of this. So. Uh, God help me if I'm going to start trying to spell out how I'm going to send this to your address in the Czech Republic, Captain. Like, I'm already upset. So <laughs> just <laughs> try and, like, copy and paste it to me or something, and we'll get we'll do our best. $30 postage to check. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, that's all from me. Do you have anything you would like to contribute at the end here? Last words, feelings? That, that's everything. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. And if anybody hears me on this podcast in the future, know that every podcast I'm ever, ever on goes long in the tooth because I like to, I like to talk, poke around, feel some ideas out. Um, and uh, yeah, we should have an extra point on the by the 28th when this releases uh we should have an extra point guys if we don't let's all start a riot 